And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, good Tuesday morning, and welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Michael, I hope you stay on because what you were talking about during your program earlier, we have a discussion about that scheduled today that you're, it's going to blow your mind how well that ties in with what you and Ricky were talking about. Today, our guests are Pastor Jesse Boyd, his daughter Bethany, their uh, family friend Eric Trent, and uh, I'm going to read this. This was sent to me by my friend John Lamb, but in Madison County, Montana, and this is uh, the county that I was a commissioner in uh, some years back, but this was their sheriff department, and I'll tell you, there's a lot going on. We need to talk about this, but it gets back to the same thing that, uh, Michael, that you and Ricky were talking about. We have an open persecution of Christians going on in this country, we have a war, a battle right now, battle royale, good and evil, and we better start picking the right side, and we better start doing our duty as Christians and as patriots to this country. We need to start standing our ground and doing the right thing, and of course, that's what this discussion will be about today. My guests are Pastor Jesse Boyd, his daughter, Bethany Boyd, uh, Eric Trent, a family friend, and on. Uh, I'm going to read this uh, little note that was sent to me by uh, John Lamb. I was actually gone all winter, and I missed out on all this, but uh, I've been getting uh, posts regularly from friends who were involved in this whole thing. And uh, anyway, I'm going to give a background on it. Uh, in um, On November 12th, 2022, they were arrested in Cameron, Montana, after a local business owner pulled over his truck, got out, and immediately started verbally assaulting and threatening them to the point of actually pushing Pastor Jesse Boyd and taking him to the ground, forcing him and the others to defend themselves. Uh, 9-11 was called by the Boyds 
But instead of arresting their attacker, Madison County Sheriff's deputies uh, swatted these three missionaries and at gunpoint and uh, pulled all five missionaries, I guess there were five at the time, out of the vehicle at gunpoint at one time, making them walk backwards and get on their knees in the middle of the road and handcuffing all five without even an investigation. Uh, their son, who was with them at the time, uh, Jesse's son, 12-year-old uh, Josiah Boyd, was handcuffed with hands behind his back, put in uh, multiple sheriff's vehicles, taken back to their attacker's house before being transported to Child Protection Services custody, where he stayed for several days. The 18-year-old Bethany was handcuffed as were all of them, all four were ordered to be placed on $50,000 bond each and were ordered to wear ankle monitors. Uh, their support vehicle was impounded at their expense. And um, the prosecutors and sheriff deputies have called them homeless transients, uh, four-letter word evangelists, shelter and slow for being Christians and homeschooled. And one Madison County deputy, Dan Wyatt, laughed and said, if you can walk across to get America together, you can go to jail together. And I, I forgot to mention the fact that uh, Jesse and his family and this family friend were walking across America. They started in North Carolina they were carrying a cross and they were basically walking across America to show America that it was time to stand up as Christians and Americans and stand up for what they believed in and be part of the solution instead of being uh, part of the problem. And uh, with that said, I want to welcome uh, Jesse, you and I haven't spoken before this morning, so I want to make sure that uh, we don't let that happen again, because uh, as I say, I just got back from Arizona, and uh, I, I have been keeping tabs on this, but not as closely as I should. I want to welcome you, and I want you to tell your story. I did see a uh, where you had done a program on several other networks before. Uh, I want you to describe the whole process that you went through. And maybe, first of all, explain why you were walking across America, what your purpose was with this, and uh, how many times you've encountered these kind of problems, because I'm embarrassed. It happened in Madison County. If I had seen you folks walking on the road with a cross, I would have pulled over, but I would have pulled over to thank you for having the, the decency and the commitment to do what you're doing. I cannot understand how this turned into the mess that it is, but I guess we're gonna talk about that today. Uh, Jesse Boyd, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Dan. It's an honor to be with you. Uh, we are actually sitting here in Madison County right now, and uh, we will be heading out after this program to continue our walk. We've still got a few miles to log here in Madison County, but it's an honor to meet you and uh, I understand we have some mutual friends, and I didn't need to meet you before today, because if you're a friend of theirs, you're a friend of mine. 
Well, I thank you for that. You're right about that. We do have a lot of mutual friends because many of them stepped forward because they saw just exactly what a travesty of justice and a travesty of your rights and your place in the world as a Christian pastor. This is pathetic that this sort of thing is happening today. But believe me, Jesse, this you are the tip of the iceberg. This is happening all over our country. And I'm sure you saw the copy of our announcement. Many of our elected leaders for the last 50 years have sworn an allegiance to Satan and certainly not to Christ. And so we are in a battle royale, and I thank you for having the guts to do what you're doing. Well, sir, I just want to affirm here to your audience that we understand that there are Christian people, particularly outside of America, who suffer real persecution for the cause of Jesus Christ. I know some of them personally. I've had the privilege of laboring with the persecuted church for years overseas in South Asia. And uh, we understand there are believers in this country, too, who are facing persecution for their faith or for their love of unborn children. And their situation is far worse than ours. So I want to acknowledge that, um, that we can rejoice to be counted with such company. We're just servants. We're nobodies, content to be nobodies, and the Lord saw fit to allow this to happen. But our situation pales in comparison to those of others, both here in America and outside this country. And we just count it an honor to uh, be just a small part of suffering for Christ. And it is a small part, but we're not going to back down. Uh, Jesus Christ has done too much for me in my life. There's no way. Just like that old Polycarp. I haven't served him for 86 years yet, but there's nothing they can make me do to turn away from Christ or to be ashamed of preaching his gospel. It's not going to happen. Well, you're right. And the sad part about that, Jesse, is that we really haven't seen the kind of persecution that others around the world, the people in the Middle East, I mean, this is literally a bloody war, and we haven't experienced that yet, but look how weak we are. Look how easily we roll over to the kind of crap that we've been experiencing and you experienced firsthand. That's not right. We have to have the, the commitment, the conviction to stand our ground and to do what we know God wants us to do. And that's the way it has to be. And so anyway, if you would, please talk about your walk across America, uh, what you have, the areas you've covered, some of your experiences, and then we'll get into the events that happened on November 12th. Well, I'll just try to be brief, Dan, and spare you uh, a lot of unnecessary detail. But my wife and I and our children have had the privilege of serving the Lord overseas for a number of years. Uh, our, Our heart has always been for the nations, for far corners of the earth where people don't have access to God's word. And I've been blessed and privileged to serve with believers in far corners and to be a part of translating and printing the scriptures and freely distributing them in mass in places around uh, South Asia and South America. So we know what it is to live outside America where our work on paper is by definition illegal and where we don't enjoy a bill of rights 
or, or constitutional protections. And God has watched over us. I've, I've ama- I'm amazed over the years at how police officials that are glaringly corrupt in communist governments have treated us with more respect and dignity than we encountered here in America, in Madison County, Montana. But our heart is to the nations, and that's where we've labored. And when COVID came, uh, some of those doors were closed. And so I'm not content to be still too long. I'm a missionary called by God to labor without benefit of furlough, without benefit of retirement. That's just the call and conviction the Spirit has put upon me. And I wasn't content to be still. It made me very sad to be back in America and to, to, to see the state of our country, to see this ship sinking, to see the very thing all around me that Thomas Jefferson warned about, a day in which Americans had forgotten that their liberty was a gift from God. He said that those days were dangerous days, and it made him tremble for his country. And, you know, with the events of COVID and the, uh, the tyranny there, the closet tyranny, the, uh, the election and, and the clown show that was, and the events of January 6th and the, and, the, and the false narrative that was just sucked up by the typical American, it, it, it grieved my spirit. And I wasn't content to just be still. The ship is sinking. And so the Lord just put a burden on my heart. Uh, to pick up a cross and walk across America. Many years ago, as I was seeking the Lord's direction in ministry, I was, I was wont to complain a lot about minor difficulties. And the Lord brought me to a place of conviction where he pressed upon my spirit and through his word, you complain a lot. You know, I've saved you from hell through my son, Jesus Christ. And I've called you to serve me and I've taken care of your every need. You complain a lot. What if I asked you to drop what you were doing right now and walk across this country? Would you obey me or would you complain about that too? And so it was one of those uh, uh, thresholds uh, where I had to bow the knee to Christ and and, and submit my life to God and stop complaining like Israel in the wilderness. And I acknowledged to God in my journal, yes, if you ever ask me to walk across America, I'll do it. That was more than 20 years ago. At that point, I was free, and God gave me uh, the strength to do what I had committed to do at that time and put away the complaining. Well, the Lord reminded me of that back in January of 2021, and uh, I couldn't escape it because I'd written it down, and uh, I realized it was time. God was testing me. Are you going to do what you said you were going to do 20 years ago? I mean, I live in a country where a man's word means nothing anymore. And now I was being called to task. Are you going to keep your word to me? And so, okay, Lord, I'm not going to argue with you. I have a cross, a brother made for me that I've been using in street evangelism during COVID. And I said, okay, I'll do it. You have to, you have to take care of me. I'll trust you. I'll do it. And my plan was to do it alone. And by God's abundant grace, I have an incredible wife of 26 years who didn't try to talk me out of it who told me, no, you're not crazy. You need to be obedient. And then I have an 18-year-old daughter here, Bethany, who was 17 at the time. And uh, she said, Dad, you have to let me go with you. Please let me go with you. And I thought, well, I'd love her company, but you have a senior year of high school to complete. We homeschool. 
as long as you keep up with your schoolwork, you can go. And so we started out on, uh, on the beach at Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, as far east as we could go in North Carolina. And at that time, Eric here, Eric and his wife have been serving the Lord in missions since not 2017. They are young people that we had discipled through our volunteer missions teams back in uh, years before, and they had met serving the Lord and have been married, and now they have two children and another on the way. And Eric and his wife were laboring with our ministry down in South America, in Colombia, and those doors closed. Colombia was very draconian and tyrannical during COVID, and Eric just didn't want me to bear that burden alone, uh, reminding me that Christ sent his disciples out two by two, two men by two men, and he wanted to come alongside and help bear that burden until the doors for them to return to Columbia opened again. And so through the process of time, we just began to walk together. Eric and I alternating legs, walking a continuous route, willing to share Christ and to warn Americans about God's judgment upon our country and to encourage people to humble themselves and return to the God of our fathers in a spirit like Daniel the prophet had when he prayed for his country uh, there in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel didn't pray in the third person. He, a righteous man, even prayed in the first person. We have sinned against you, O Lord. To us belongs confusion of face. And we've just been greatly blessed. We've covered 5,500 plus miles across 17 states, 210 counties over, took us, a, we were into our second year. By God's grace, I mean, with the division and the anger and the chaos that's going around this country today, we expected to have problems. We purposely walk rural roads. We want to be where people live so we can engage them in their small towns and engage them where they live. And we've had countless opportunities to talk to folks of all shapes and sizes, all socioeconomic levels, red, yellow, black, and white, people of different on different points of the political spectrum. And one thing we've discovered is that almost everyone understands that our country has a problem. You don't have to convince people of that. And so we've used that as a door of opportunity to give out copies of God's word, to encourage people to humble themselves before the Lord, because history teaches that when a nation that once knew God turns its back on God, and then elects leaders who daily stick a middle finger in God's face, then judgment is coming. And part of that judgment is confusion of face that we see all around us. Israel's history was given to us to warn us, to admonish us as a people, and also to comfort us as those who follow the Lord and stay true to him. So one of my favorite sayings of, Amer of an American president that I like to share with people was uttered by Vice President Teddy Roosevelt on September 1st, 1901. Four days later, President McKinley was assassinated in Niagara, New York, and then Teddy Roosevelt became president. But Vice President Roosevelt was speaking at the Minnesota State Fair, and he said some words that are far more appropriate today than perhaps even then. He said, no glory and no prosperity can save a nation that is rotten at heart. And I think those words ring true. We are rotten at heart in this country. And the weakness of the churches, the weakness of the Christians, the cowardice out there 
is proof of that. The confusion, the division, the same division that the that uh, that the wicked ones sowed in America prior to the Civil War is being sown today. And if we don't wake up, if we don't cry out to God for help and humble ourselves, that same division is going to have a, the, the same result, the bloodshed we saw in this country. And my ancestors fought in that war. They shed their blood in that war. They didn't desire it. They didn't want it. They didn't own slaves. They wore the gray and they went off to fight and they suffered greatly for it. We're going to repeat that history in this country if we don't humble ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's been our message. We've had over 2,600 encounters with people from newspaper editors to policemen, from farmers to mechanics to uh, children to whites to blacks to Native Americans, to Hispanics, to rich, to poor, to people with Trump signs in their yards, to people with Biden signs in their yards. Our objective has been to encourage all to turn back to God and to speak of America's problems in the first person. There's no one I've spoken to where I haven't shared my concern with pronouns other than we. We have sinned against God. I'm as guilty as the next man for lightly esteeming the rock of my salvation, for lightly esteeming the liberties and the freedoms that we have become so comfortable with that were purchased by the blood of our fathers who feared God. I'm as guilty as the next man, and we've got to turn back to the Lord. So that's been our message, Dan, and we've never had an issue. Um, people are kind. Uh, people have entertained us in their homes. We've had strangers open their homes to us. Even during COVID, when everybody was running around seemingly scared to death and wearing masks and getting shots, we noticed something very peculiar. We thought, beginning in March of 2021, that nobody would want to, that no one would want to talk to us. That if I walked by people's homes, they'd run inside. They didn't know me. I was a stranger. Walking through town, they maybe I was sick, maybe I had COVID, but we found that to be untrue. I was amazed at how people would talk to us. People would come up and shake my hand. I could count for you on one hand the number of people that wore a mask when they spoke to me as a stranger. And I had people hug me and offer me drink and food. And what it told me is that the people of America aren't afraid of the sickness. If they were, they wouldn't speak to me. They're afraid of the tyranny. They're afraid of someone looking at them or confronting them in public. They're afraid of things that are like the man in the book of Proverbs. I can't go outside. There's a lion in the streets. There are a lot, there's a lion in the streets and there's no lion. And so that was kind of encouraging because it, told me that the average person wasn't buying into the COVID narrative. And yet going out in public, they were acting in fear as if they were. That's a concerning place to be in this country. And yet hopeful. I can't tell you the number of people that you would assume would buy into the narrative. You know, we tend to assume in our prejudicial thinking that certain groups of people believe what they're being told. And it's not always true. I remember talking to a, a black man in a rural black community. I was warned not to walk through there, that it was dangerous. 
And when people tell me things like that, I just walk through there anyway. That's just, that just makes me want to do it anyway. And I remember that that community, those folks were very kind to us. And I had an individual say to me that, uh, I don't pay attention to any of the news media. They want me to hate you and you to hate me so that, because they hate all of us. And I just thought that was a profound statement. Mm-hmm. And uh, it encouraged me that folks aren't buying into it uh, maybe as much as we think. But then again, we have a great big spiritual problem in this country, Dan, and you can't fix a spiritual problem with a political solution. And that's been our message. We hope that by carrying a cross and talking to people that we can bring attention to the fact that our nation's in distress and that we don't need another president that makes empty promises. We need to bow before the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's coming again. And when he sets up a kingdom, there won't be chaos. There won't be Republicans and Democrats. There won't be protesting in the streets because the Messiah comes to rule with a rod of iron. Someone asked Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, Mr. Lincoln, whose side has God on in this bloody war? And Lincoln said, ma'am, I'm not concerned with whose side, whether or not we're, or whether or not God is on our side, but whether we are on his side. And that's where we need to stop and, and, and take account. Are we as Americans who love our country on God's side? And when we're murdering unborn babies by the millions, celebrating that in the street, when we're teaching our sons that they can be our daughters, we're not on God's side. And God doesn't owe America anything. He's already blessed this nation abundantly. And we have returned those blessings like Israel of old by turning our back upon him. So that's our message. It's a peaceful message. We've had no problems. We've had over 30 encounters with law enforcement coming out to check on us. Or maybe somebody makes a stupid phone call claiming that a man's walking down the road with an AR-15 waving it at somebody. That call was put in back in Wyoming. I, don't, I guess they can't tell the difference between a cross and an AR. And, of course, the officer came out, and they were friendly, and we've had no problems. And um, that's the greatest proof, 5,500 miles of walking, 20-plus years of serving Christ in foreign lands, no criminal records, no incidents. That's the loudest proof that the narrative being pushed in this county to cover up sins and crimes is just that, a false narrative. We don't even need to defend ourselves, Dan. We've got 20-plus years of service to do that, and you don't walk across America 5,000 miles on foot without incident if you're the type of people that just go up and harass locals and start fights. I'd have to be the biggest fool on the face of the planet to walk up to a stranger in gun-toting Montana where people are out hunting elk with rifles and pick a fight in the presence of my children. I'd have to be the stupidest man on the face of the planet. And the fact is, that's not how we conduct ourselves. But when we came into Madison County, Montana, our 210th county, it became obvious very quick that there were people who didn't want our kind in Montana. In fact, I was told that your kind ain't welcome here. That's amazing. Well, Jesse, first of all, I've I've been in this, um, in the freedom movement for 40 years, 50 years, and I have been doing these podcasts now. I'm, I'm, I believe it's uh, eight and a half years now. 
And I can tell you <clears throat> the one thing that comes into play every time I do a program and we do try to connect dots is that this is a battle for the salvation of our country, for the salvation of humanity. And uh, the more I do these programs, the more I realize how important it is to get right, right with our Lord and our Savior and do this because, in fact, it's all connected. All yes, the dots connect right back to that. And uh, with that said, I would love to have you talk about what happened on uh, November 12th of 2021 or 2022, I'm sorry, and uh, how that all kind of came about and how it, how it got to where it is today. Very simple, Dan. We were walking down a highway. Um, we had closed a big walking loop through Yellowstone country and had sought the Lord, whether to head south through Idaho or north through Montana. We believed he was directing us to go north. We closed the loop, probably a 150-mile loop that covered all of Yellowstone country, and started north. And we had determined to go back home for Thanksgiving and Christmas to rest. My knees were bothering me. I'm not as young as I used to be. And uh, it was really, really cold. Uh, the, the great long Indian summer and the fall that followed had come to an end suddenly. And we just thought, you know, closing the loop was the best time to go home because it's Montana winter is not Kentucky winter. We had walked across Kentucky the winter before. Montana winter is not Kentucky. But Bethany's fiance, Carter, who had walked about seven or 800 miles with us when he could get off work, he works at a grain elevator in Missouri, had really wanted to propose to her marriage before the end of the year. And he really wanted to do it along the side of a highway because they had walked so many miles together. And then my son, Josiah, young man, uh, he's had quite the childhood and has been all over the world and uh, interacted with a lot of cultures. And he's walked about 150 miles with us. And he just said, Dad, please let me ride across America with Uncle Carter and walk with you for one more week before the end of the year. And I was hesitant because it was so cold we were so tired. We probably just need to go home. And, uh, but I didn't want to ruin, I didn't want to dash a young boy's dreams. I didn't want to ruin Car Carter's opportunity to propose. And so I gave in. Maybe I made a mistake. I gave in. I said, okay, we'll just walk for another week or so. You guys get out here, walk with us a few days. Let's make it up to I-90 at the Three Rivers State Park, where the, the headwaters of the Missouri. We thought that'd be a very symbolic place to end this leg and go home. And uh, so they did. They came all the way out. They met us. Uh, we had been, we had come into Montana. We were on 287 down there by where it joins up with another highway at Henry Lake. And we walked together. Uh, we walked a full day together. It was brutally cold on November 11th. Uh, we had some great encounters uh, with a few people. Um, we stopped at the little highway rest area there and made a coffee and then finished up, went back to a cabin we were renting in Island Park. We had one more day there, and then we were transitioning to Bozeman at night. There was a widow lady in Bozeman 
who had never met us, but had heard about what we were doing. And she opened her home to us. And so November 12th, we did what we characteristically do any day. We went back to the very spot that we had stopped walking the day before. There were five of us. Eric, myself, and Josiah were going to walk a leg, and then we would hand off the cross and the flag to Bethany and Carter. They would walk a leg, and then we would move the support vehicle up. And our goal for the day was the little store in Cameron. Maybe in us, I didn't think we had enough time to do it. But it was cold. I don't think it got above 18 degrees that day. And we probably saw seven or eight people that morning, mostly elk hunters, we, we just walk up to the vehicles where people were parked and greet them and tell them what we were doing off from a gospel tract and nice people. I mean, one, one, one couple of guys came up and said, Hey, you, let me tell you where you can go watch some elk over here. And just friendly folks. I talked to a guy from named Frank that stopped and spoke with us for a while. Uh, one guy drove by that day and flipped us off and mocked us, but you know, that's typical, you know, they go on whatever. Well, that afternoon, uh, we had six miles to get to the store in Cameron where we hoped we could find a coffee and maybe call it a day. And we agreed that Eric and Josiah would walk three miles and then Bethany and Carter would walk the last three miles. And Carter had a diamond ring in his pocket and he was wanting to propose to Bethany that day on the side of the highway. And we figured this is not a busy highway. There's hardly anyone out here. This is a perfect place to do it. That was his intention. Those last three miles. So they moved the car up. Bethany parked the support vehicle. We have, we're not foolish. We know that an out of state tag in a rural area probably looks suspicious. A lot of times people think we have car trouble and they stop us. And so Bethany parked at a crossroads on a public easement. She was completely out of the way of traffic, and it was parked in such a way that we could pull immediately out into the highway and move up the road. And they had been sitting there for about 40 to 45 minutes at the junction of US 287 and Cameron Road. Never saw anyone enter or exit Cameron Road. This fake news out there that we were parked on private property is absolutely ridiculous. There's no truth to it. It's a lie from the pit of hell. We don't park on private property. If we were accustomed to that, we would have been in trouble long before Montana. So she was parked where she legally had a right to be, not bothering anyone. We had to be careful about the snowdrifts. They sat there, never saw any activity, quiet. We walked up with the cross. I handed it to Carter. Eric handed his flag to Bethany. And we said, you guys walk to Cameron's store. We will meet you there. There's a store. We'll have you a cup of coffee. And as they were just talking for a minute and eating a, you know, we try to eat a, a, a protein bar or something like that. I just went around the back of the car to put stuff in the back. And at that point, a vehicle pulled up. He came from the north, not the direction we had been traveling. And I find it interesting at the very moment we walked up, this guy pulls up. Long story short, he's visibly angry, gesticulating with his hands. I've never seen him before. He pulls up beside me parallel on the road. I'm confused. A guy's cursing and screaming. I'm not going to repeat what he said. It was so foul and full of blasphemous language. I'm not going to repeat it. And uh, told us that 
we weren't welcome there. And I explained to him that we were trying to be careful about where we parked because of the snow drifts, that we were just some people walking across America. We weren't looking at any, for any trouble and that we're leaving right now anyway. I said, I'm sorry, sir. We didn't mean to upset anybody. We're leaving right now. And that wasn't good enough. He began to curse and scream. And the words he was saying made me believe we were being watched and that we were in danger. And uh, my son is standing right beside me. And I just told him what I tell people all the time. You don't need to use language like that. What you need to do is leave. We don't want any trouble, sir. And you need to go home and wash your filthy mouth out with soap because we've got women and children out here and there's no reason for you to talk that way. And when I said that, he said to me, I'll show you. Reached across his front seat, looked to me like he was reaching for a gun. I'm in Montana. 80% of people have guns. I'm not a fool. Got out of his vehicle and he ran at me like a football player on a field around the front of this vehicle. I see this big man running at me like a charging bull about covering the 20 feet between his driver's side and the back of my vehicle. And my child is standing before me. And so I did what any righteous man would do in that situation who has a duty to protect his family. I pulled my firearm. I drew my firearm that was on my hip. I'd be a fool to walk across America without a gun. We were in grizzly bear country and I had a little old Derringer that wasn't bulky. I don't like bulky stuff on me when I'm walking 20 miles. And I pulled it out and I drew it and I pointed it in his general direction toward the ground. And I said, sir, I'm in fear for my life. I don't know you. We don't want any trouble here. Get back in your vehicle. And then he just went berserk. You can't pull guns on people. This is Montana. Uh, I know the sheriff. You're going to jail. We hate you people. Blah, 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 blah. And I just reiterated, I've got children here. I don't want any trouble. Get back in your vehicle. All the while, I'm wanting to make sure this man doesn't have a gun on him or a knife. And uh, at that point, Eric approached, got Josiah out of the way and tried to reason with this man. The man calmed down a little bit, and I was able to discern that he didn't have a gun in his hand or on his hip. And I thought, the danger is past. I reholstered the weapon. I gave it to Eric, and I said, put it away. We don't need this anymore. And at that point, the preacher in me, the Christian in me, wanted to reason with this individual. Maybe he thought we were somebody else. And I tried to reason with him. Well, at that point, I made a mistake. This was not somebody you could reason with. And as soon as the gun was put away, he physically assaulted me, pushed me up against my vehicle. I pushed him off. Eric tried to stop it. We don't want any trouble. We don't want any trouble. And then he punched me in the face and broke my glasses, my sunglasses. Eric tried to get between him and me. He ran over Eric and he grabbed me and tackled me to the ground. I was nursing a back injury. I had fallen on the ice in Yellowstone National Park. My feet had gone above my head and I was, I'd injured my back. Uh, a couple of days prior to this, we had been in Boise at a pastor friend's house for about four, three or four days. And I was in bed. I had to get back treatment uh, because I couldn't hardly walk. And so my back was very tender. It was all I could do to walk anyway. And uh, this man tackled me to the ground and he's got me buried in the snow and he's just pummeling me over and over. 
And uh, at that point, uh, Eric, my daughter, and Carter uh, were forced to act to help me escape from this madman. I mean, at that point, I mean, Eric can tell you what happened. But, I mean, this guy was a raging maniac. We did everything we could do to leave. I asked him multiple times. He screamed in my face for five to six minutes after I put the gun away. I had my hands at my side. I didn't want to do anything that would precipitate a confrontation because I thought if my back gets re-injured, I'm not walking anymore the rest of this year. And so I I stood there calmly with my hands at my side. His spit was all over my face. He's threatening us. He's telling us guns are pointed at us. Cowboys are coming that they're going to teach us a lesson. Uh, If you make a move, you'll be shot dead. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. The guy's insane. I think he was tanked on meth. He had the foulest chemical smelling breath I've ever smelled in my life. I've never seen him in my life. And we were stuck, Dan. I mean, I really believed that we were sitting ducks on the side of a highway. And even if I was able to get in my car and leave, there was nothing to stop someone from blocking us or shooting us from the side of the highway. It was a very precarious position. And as a father, I was very concerned. We had no cell phone signal. And, uh, you know, we tried everything we could to defuse that situation. And we didn't want any trouble. We asked him to get out of my face so I could leave, and he wouldn't do it. And when he finally put his hands on me and it became dangerous and I'm the only line of self-defense between him and my children, just like I was when he got out of the vehicle, I'm going to do what I have to do. And that's when these guys entered in. I didn't see any of that. I was on the ground trying to protect my face while this guy punched me over and over. And apparently while I was on the ground, these guys entered in and between them and me, I was able to kick him in the face He got a bloody nose, uh, and I was able to get out from under him. And thank God none of us were injured. Uh, When the physical part stopped, he wasn't injured. He had a bloody nose. I've seen worse bloody noses on playgrounds, uh, and I've seen the desert dry air at high altitude cause a worse bloody nose than that. But, you know, that's what happened. We were minding our own business, trying to move up the road. We were attacked by a raging maniac, I did what Montana law allows me to do. If I'm threatened with bodily harm, I drew a firearm. I diffused a threat. No shots were fired. Nobody was shot. I put it away. Big mistake in my naivete and tried to reason with the guy in good faith. He attacked us. And then we came to each other's aid to, uh, uh, to rescue us just like the Bible says we're responsible to do in Psalm 24. I mean, Proverbs 24, 10, 11, when you see somebody in danger of being hurt or killed. And then, so whatever happened while I was on the ground, these guys were there. But uh, once the physical part was over, he had buddies show up on the scene. Three people showed up in two trucks. They got out. The first thing one of them said was, get your Jesus blankety blank out of here or we're going to kill you. I found that to be a strange statement. Wow. You, the only way you would say that is if you had seen us walking on the highway with the cross mm-hmm. and you had targeted us. Cause there'd be no reason for you to say that you wouldn't have known anything about who we were while we were there. His other, uh, the other guy said that, you know, I'll, I'll run you over with my truck. 
there was a third individual. And so we had this posse here and we have this man saying, the Cowboys are here. You're going to pay for this. And I know the sheriff personally, you're all going to pay. And it just was like, we got to get out of here. These guys are going to kill us. Hmm. And so he got on the phone with 911. White Raw was standing there. I couldn't do anything. I had no cell service. I didn't know where the keys were to the car. I sent Carter and Bethany, get down the highway. They took the cross and flag and took off down the highway. I had to open up the gearbox. I found the keys. We got in the car and left. These men said they would kill us. And so I got up the road to where I could get a signal. I tried multiple times to call 911 and it kept getting cut off. And finally I got it to connect about a mile or so up the road And there was a 10-minute phone call where I explained to the dispatcher that we had been attacked by a group of locals, that our lives had been threatened, that I was forced to pull a gun in self-defense and fear for my life, and that we were attacked, that we had to defend ourselves, that he got the worst of it. It was a bloody nose. But as far as I knew, nobody was hurt, but we were in fear because there was a group gathering and we wanted to report it. And I explained that we would cooperate. We're happy to talk to them. We've got nothing to hide. I moved up the road and I communicated where we would be parked. And I picked these guys up off the highway. We sat and we waited. And law enforcement showed up. We were prepared to cooperate. And instead, what we learned is that what this maniac said, he said a bunch of lies out there on the side of the highway. But the one thing he said was absolute truth. I'm friends with the sheriff and you're going to pay. And that's exactly what happened. We were swatted. Guns were pointed at us. My, my, my 12-year-old son was pulled out of a vehicle with guns pointed at him. We were all separated and thrown in vehicles before they asked us any questions. Uh, they separated us all. They asked us what happened. I explained exactly what happened. You can see on the body cam footage that was leaked to the public by a whistleblower that I told that officer, I thought this man was going to tackle me to the ground. And my son was there, and I pulled a weapon. And I pointed it in his general direction. I mean, I was very open about that. And then all of a sudden, we're being mocked. I'm being told by an officer that I have no right anywhere in the United States to ever pull a gun on someone, which is a lie. It's not Mm -hmm. true. Um, And uh, we're being mocked because we're preachers or Christians carrying guns. We're being... uh, mocked about beating people up with crosses. You can't go around beating up people with crosses. Um, We discovered (laughs) later in leaked body cam footage that these officers stood around and mocked us as effing evangelists. Every one of these SOBs needs to go to jail. Let's make the GD kid go to CPS, get an ambulance down there. Let's make sure we get an ambulance so we can make the case look stronger. They're just a bunch of vagabonds, transients. You've got the guy who attacked us on body cam footage admitting that he was, quote, unquote, pissed off when I got out of the car and I didn't know what I was going to do. Those are his own words. Mm -hmm. He talked about beating the blankety blank out of me, beating the blankety blank out of Eric. Uh, His buddies couldn't even get their story straight. And here we were, five eyewitnesses to a situation gave the same story when we weren't even in the presence of each other. And these guys sat around laughing, saying, well, all of their stories match up, so they must have rehearsed it. They must be lying. 
Hmm. And wow. I mean, it just blew yep. my mind. I have interacted with tyranny around the world investigation in communist countries. And I've been detained mm-hmm. by police in countries with communist governments. And I have never been treated that way. And we were powerless. I knew if we resisted in any way, there was nothing to stop them for shooting us. Right. Right. I have no doubt in my mind that if I would have turned around or reached to scratch my back, those officers would have pumped me full of lead. There's no doubt in my mind. And I'll tell you something else, Dan, based on what I observed that day, and I don't mean to insult your county, and I don't mean to insult the people of this county because there's good people in this county. We saw that last weekend. But if we had been Native Americans or if we had been black, there's no doubt in my mind we'd be in a shallow grave right now. The only thing we had in our favor that day was the fact that we were obviously white folks from the countryside. We were rural people. You only have to know that by me opening my mouth. It can, I can't hide the fact that I'm not from yeah, Montana because exactly. my Southern accent, but the way that was conducted that day and the language that was used, boy, I'm so glad we weren't foreigners lost on a highway trying to find out where to go. I'm sure, sure glad we weren't native Americans with a broken down vehicle at that intersection, trying to figure out what to do. When a man says to me, your kind ain't welcome in Montana. And I look at him and I look at me and we have the same color skin and we look pretty much the same. Then I've got to ask myself, what does your kind mean? Right. right. Not a racial statement, but, it must mean my kind equals mm-hmm. Christian because he had seen the cross. Yeah. And I have never encountered, encountered that. I have never anywhere in America through all my years of serving the Lord. I've pedaled a bicycle across Montana three times many years ago, across America three times. And I rode the entire highland of Montana. I went through the Wolf Point Reservation where they told me it was dangerous. I have never had anybody tell me your kind ain't welcome here. Mm-hmm. I've had people not like the preaching of the gospel, but we were minding our own business this day. I wasn't standing on a street corner and talking about Jesus. And then you have hecklers that happens. We were minding our own business. We were doing nothing but walking and moving a vehicle. Well, Jesse, I'm going to, I'm going to come in at this point and say something because it is a problem. And I, you know, it's, it's unique to a lot of the rural counties in Montana, and that is we have seen so many changes nationally that a lot of people in rural America are so defensive about uh, our country coming unglued that uh, they've become irrational. They have uh, they lash out for all the wrong reasons to all the wrong people, and uh, Montana and I, I grew up here. I'm a fourth generation, actually fifth generation Montanan, um, and all I can tell you is that there's a mentality here that is really, really self-protective to the point of being uh, completely irrational. Well, I'm not surprised by that, Dan. That's a spiritual thing. That's Mm -hmm. the work of the evil one. It's the work of the powers that be. Uh, The the powers that be in Washington and the media, their objective 
is to create this paranoia, exactly. defensiveness, and to divide the American people, just like it was by the powers that be ahead of the Civil War. That was all about mm-hmm. destruction and division. And Satan is Apollyon. He is the destroyer. And so this chaos... People don't understand that they're being used as pawns. That's right. This paranoia. And at one point when this man was screaming at me, he bragged about being MAGA. He bragged about being QAnon. Uh, I won't repeat what he said. It was so foul, but he used, he talked about Trump and being MAGA. And I don't know if he thought we were liberals or assumed (laughs) that, but at one point I tried to say, sir, if you would just back out of my face and calm down, you might uh, you might discover that when it comes to political issues, we agree on a lot. I'm uh-huh. not your enemy. And then he screamed, oh, so now you're going to make it political. So there was no reasoning with this person. And, um, you know, so I'm I am uh, not registered. I'm registered as unaffiliated as a voter in this country. I have exercised my right to vote since I was 18 years old. I have written in candidates. I voted for my dad for president once because he's a righteous man, but I voted for Trump twice, whether that was a, you know, some might agree or disagree with that. That's fine. I did what I believed was right by my conscience. I exercised those rights. Um, I have tried to, do my duties as an American citizen. I've been, a, I've been naive about, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, objectivity of American re- elections for a long time, but I'm a man who loves my country. My, my grandfather was a law enforcement officer in North Carolina for 35 years. He was high ranking. He was offered the highest ranking position in the state twice by the governor, and he turned it down because he wasn't interested in politics. And I know what law enforcement is supposed to look like. People today still talk about him in North Carolina more than 10 years after his death. Even the hell's angels that he had to deal with in the 60s and 70s respected him because he was fair and impartial. And one time they presented him with a table leg because they said he was straight as a table leg when it came to enforcing the law. So when you're a law enforcement officer and the hell's angels respect you, (laughs) then you're doing something right. So I know what law enforcement looks like. I live in a place where we have a good sheriff. I believe the sheriff's election is probably the most important election a citizen can involve himself in. Mm-hmm. And we got a sheriff that uh, fears God and acted constitutionally during the COVID debacle. We've got a local police department in Hickory that has been a friend to us as we've gone about sharing the gospel. In fact, I was told while we were out preaching during the lockdowns, if you guys get any trouble, you call us and we'll take care of it. So I have good relationships with my local law enforcement. I know what it's supposed to look like. We live in a rural community where our neighbors like us. They may not like what we preach, but they know we're good neighbors. They watch Mm -hmm. over our home. I mean, we are people that are not hated in our community. And so we don't have criminal records. You'd have to go back more than 20 years to find a traffic violation on my record. And these are things that these officers could have verified, and they chose not to do it. And then you've got a guy attacking us who's known as a local troublemaker, 
There are people that are scared to death of him. It's his MO to pull his car mm-hmm. off the road and get out and confront people. He's done it multiple times. He's got a criminal record. He's not even a native Montana. The guy's only been here two or three years and he acts like he speaks for Montana. Yeah. I mean, it blows yeah. my mind. And, uh, but the ironic thing, Dan, is I don't put any stock in anything the White House says, anything the Department of Justice or the Department of Homeland Security says. These are very tyrannical organizations that are run by unelected bureaucrats who hate Americans and want control. I understand that. But what I find ironic in our situation is around the same time this happened, the Department of Homeland Security put out a bulletin. It was a, it was a warning bulletin that certain groups of Americans were putting themselves in danger. You're probably familiar with this. Oh, yeah. Traveling in certain parts of the country. And the groups they listed, of course, were minorities, uh, racial minorities, LGBTQXYZ, whatever that is. And then people of faith was listed in there, too. And that the warning was that in certain areas of the country, that there was a danger to retribution from what they, one of the things they listed was lone wolf MAGA terrorist. Now we listen <laughs> yeah. to that and we laugh at that. And I mean, we know we that that's meant to drum up division. We know that most people that support uh, standing up for America uh, are peace loving people who don't terrorize anybody. And I understand that the most well-funded terrorist organization in the world is the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. But it's ironic, it. the very thing this bulletin warned about happened to us. This was a self-professing MAGA QAnon. It came out of his mouth. He was a domestic terrorist that attacked us on a rural highway because we were people of faith. I just find it ironic. It's almost like the Lord has a sense of humor that he, if he can get an ass to speak truth like he did in the Old Testament to Balaam, He can even get the Department of Homeland Security to speak something that's true, because that was our experience. That's exactly what happened to us. Jesse, think about this now. Um, Could this possibly have been a false flag? Because, in fact, if this had ended in tragedy, uh, then they'd have one more statistic in rural Montana, in Madison County, where somebody ended up getting shot with a firearm, okay, and uh, another tragedy, and they could chalk that up to gun ownership. Nothing I mean, would surprise me, Dan. Nothing. Well, God's grace, Jesus Christ, we love him. We don't have hair triggers. And if that's the case, they mm-hmm. didn't get what they want because we didn't fire a weapon and we didn't use it and nobody got hurt. And this man who attacked us, as evil as he is, he yet has an opportunity to get right with the Lord. If that had been my wife and I hadn't been there, I would have expected my wife to shoot him and she'd have been justified Mm -hmm. in doing it. Just like a lady in Yellowstone County back in January who was approached by two individuals who threatened her verbally, they were unarmed. She drew her weapon and shot both of them. And the police captain there in Billings was quoted in the news article as saying, self-defense is a right Absolutely. People is enshrined in law here in Montana. So you have Yellowstone County lady can shoot two people. And then in Madison County, I can draw a gun when the law says I can. 
to defuse a threat. No shots are filed, fired, and I'm in trouble for it. How does yeah. this happen in the same state under the, the authority of the exact same attorney general? How does that happen unless we're a country under God's judgment? Well, I, you know, I have to say that's exactly where, where the problem lies, is that we've got uh, in this country a lot of people who are not believers, but we also have a lot of people in rural counties like Madison County, and frankly, I think that there's a real issue with legal and, uh, and training in how to be a good police officer Yes. That's something that needs to be improved, obviously. I've known a lot of police. As a matter of fact, uh, when I was a county commissioner, I dealt with some very good, very professional uh, Madison County police officers. I don't know. I don't know any of the people that were involved in this thing. At least I'm not aware that I've ever met them. But I can tell you they're fairly new hires because I, you know, I was commissioner seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Um, and so they're fairly new hires. And I think there's some real problems here with understanding their role as a legitimate officer of the law with the Castle Doctrine, with our Constitution, with our Second Amendment rights clearly panned out, with our state constitution allowing for the use of uh, a firearm and self-defense. I mean, it's clear that some of the things that I overheard in that uh, tape conversation, those police officers were completely wrong in their interpretation of the law, completely and wrong. The problem, Dan, and this is something my grandfather said before he died, is that good, honorable people are not applying for these jobs anymore. Right. Because of all the PR and because of all the political correctness, these departments are literally having to scrape from the dregs of society to, to, to hire people. Uh, I was astounded that there, there are only a handful of sheriffs or police departments around America that, re that still require a, the passing of a physical test to become an officer. And one of those few that remains is actually my home uh, town police department, Hickory, North Carolina. They still have a physical mm -hmm. that must be passed, but people are being hired with no experience. A uh, lot of folks that just, just like in Nazi Germany, the early days, the Brown shirts, you know, you get a little 40, you get a badge and you use it as a means to take out your anger and your frustrations with society on innocent people. And these things are just a symptom of a bigger problem. They're a symptom of a spiritual problem in a nation. So yeah. you don't fault the individuals beyond their individual responsibility. But this is where we are. We have tyrants at all level of law enforcement and the good law enforcement officers that remain, if they speak up, they get fired. Yeah. And if they don't speak up. They back themselves into a corner where they're not a whole lot different in the end than the Nazi guards who just followed orders. And well, that's, that's it. Hitler. That's it, Jesse. They fall back on that. I was just following orders. But in a situation like you were in, it goes beyond following orders. They've got to use common sense. 
You've yes. got to do, you, you mentioned uh, they, they should have uh, done a little bit more research on your background, and they certainly shouldn't have treated you like criminals in the way they uh, took you all into different vehicles and handcuffed and all, all the rest. That's just not a rational way to treat a situation like you guys were in. I, I want to give Eric and Bethany a chance to say something, and I see that uh, my friend John Lamb is on the phone. I want to give him a little bit of time to, uh, because uh, John, is, he, he ran for the uh, congressional seat in Western Montana as a libertarian. Uh, I've known John quite a long time now. He's been uh, to uh, at least one of our Red Pill events. I, I'm uh, the program director for the Red Pill Expos, and so uh, we, we do these programs all over the country. And John went with us uh, to um, Phoenix to a program we were doing there because at the time he was reporting on what was happening with the Bundy trials, with the Malheur uh, trials and I had John on several times on my podcast and so sure. I, I know John pretty well. Uh, anyway, I want to give all of you a chance to say a few words. Eric, uh, you were there. Bethany, you were there. I please just let you yes, guys pipe in the way you want to. But you saw exactly how this all came about. Is in fact. Uh, what your dad and what your friend are saying uh, about the whole circumstance, is this the way it really came about? And can you describe any other things that were part of this whole uh, fiasco? Yeah. Uh, thank you, Dan, for having us on here. It's a, it's a blessing. You know, like Jesse said earlier, uh, there have been a lot of, people in Montana and especially in Madison County who have extended a lot of love and support to us and wanting to help us out in this messy, ridiculous situation and, you know, including a man like yourself. And so we really appreciate you guys for that. Mm -hmm. And we really do appreciate John Lamb yes. because, uh, man, he has really helped us out in mm -hmm. many, many ways. I don't know, uh, exactly what we would have done without him uh stepping in and you know us getting connected with him was really providential you know the hand of the lord because it was basically somebody that we are acquainted with in missouri having a contact who knew him mm -hmm. and so it was just kind of this word of mouth thing that connected us with him right there at the right time and i remember my pastor in north carolina calling him and explaining him explaining the situation to him and that we were in jail currently. And, uh, John lamb was on the phone with him and was like, well, yeah, I'm in Ennis right now. And I see their impounded vehicle right over there in that garage. I'm right here. So it was really incredible that everything lined up with John lamb in that manner. But, um, no, Jesse covered all the details, all the main stuff with the attack, the day, uh, you know, how the day went down. That guy was massive. He was very strong. This was not somebody that you really wanted to risk trying to be nice to, you know, and uh, in, in, in the attack when he charged at us, when he charged at Jesse. I remember 
uh, when Jesse was on the ground and this guy was pummeling him, there was a moment that I had him restrained. There was a moment. I don't remember exactly what I did. Jesse told me, see, this is what was crazy in the adrenaline state. I didn't even remember it. Jesse talked about how I managed to get him in kind of an arm bar or something along those lines and had him restrained for a minute and he kind of cooled off. And the minute I let go of him, he went after me and he latched onto me, latched onto my collar. And he had me with this iron grip that I couldn't get out of. And I was really scared that he was going to start punching and beating me. And the only way that I could actually get away from this guy was to take off my clothes. I had to take off my jacket. I had to take off my backpack and literally slip out of everything just to get away from this guy. And I remember it was in that moment that he was finally finished. He backed up. He was wheezing. He was gassed from attacking us from his frenzied state. And he was leaning onto this barbed wire fence. And that was when it was over. When he decided to stop, that's when the whole fiasco was over with. Yes. So it kept going because he kept going. He kept coming. He kept charging. He kept swinging. He kept tackling. So finally, when he called it quits and he went over and leaned on that fence, that's when it was done and we were okay. And that's, of course, when all those other guys came out and it turned into this big posse and we had to get out of that. But you know, I will touch on this, and this is what really blows our mind, you know, talking about the Christian persecution side of this, you know, this being a, an issue of the cross, of us being evangelists that the cops were clearly ticked off about in the body camp footage. When they took us all into custody and drove us all off and threw us all in jail, we sat in jail. I was taken up to a little county jail up there in Boulder. You know where that you know where that's at up in Jefferson County. Yes, you're right. I knew it myself. I'm very familiar with the Jefferson County yes, sir. jail well, where, and, and the commissioners up there. I worked with them for years. That's where I was taken. For some reason, I was taken up there by myself. And then the other three, Josiah, of course, he was taken into CPS. We didn't know where he went. And then the other three were taken over there into Bozeman. Gallatin. Mm -hmm. Gallatin. Gallatin County over there in, uh, in Bozeman. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, uh, Madison County actually. Uh, they don't have anything. In, well, they've got a jail, but uh, somebody filed a lawsuit against them about probably 12 or 15 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, because they said that they didn't have all the facilities that were necessary to make it a, a class one jail. And so uh, Madison County, it was that way when I was a commissioner, has been sending their prisoners over that are there for over a day to either Gallatin County, to Jefferson County, or to Beaverhead County. Yeah, it was small there in uh, Virginia City when they took us there. It's very tiny. Yeah. But anyway, they split us all up. We sat in jail for the weekend. No court, no arraignment, nothing. We had to sit over the weekend. And, you know, you can imagine our we got there late Saturday night, probably midnight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you can imagine our confusion, what to do. We don't have any clue what to do. Uh, we managed to, you know, I had my wife's phone number by memory. I believe Jesse did as well, but that's how we managed to get into contact with home in jail. 
and you know our church was very instrumental mm-hmm. in helping us out and of course during that weekend in jail that's when we got connected to john lamb and he stepped in and he started helping us um i i was it monday or was it tuesday we had court it was monday it was i, I think it was monday yeah it was monday when we had court and uh it, that that was a, a, a sham. It was a, a, a sham, sham show when you we went there. And so these guys did it by Zoom. I was transported all the way down there in the vehicle, and I went to the court physically. Um, there was a justice of the peace there at the time who was actually voted out. I can't remember what his name was, um, but he was in charge of it. And, of course, the county DA was there. Uh but anyway, this guy hit us each with a $50,000 bond. Hmm. Every single one of us were hit with $50,000 on each head. Uh, you know, like the absolute maximum. He called us homeless, variant, transients, uh, just completely exaggerated us to be these, these thugs that were out there, you know, endangering this guy's life and his livelihood. Uh, hit us with the $50,000 bond. Uh, he, he told the, he told the judge, uh, that we needed to wear GPS tracking ankle monitors, Mm -hmm. uh, the entire time, you know, and we had to pay for those things, but we had to pay, we had to pay up front for them. And then we had to pay $11 a day a piece for all four of us. So it was very costly. Uh, and it was just this big thing to try to, protect who they were calling the victim, you know, that we wouldn't go over there and harm his life and, you know, harass him anymore. It was just ridiculous. And so he hit us with these ankle monitors that we had to wear. You had to shower with it. You had to sleep with it. You had to change the batteries in it. It would beep like crazy. It was the most annoying <laughs> thing ever, yeah. you know, all the way back home, you know, and it's, all the way back home, fast forward in North Carolina, when we went back to our homes in North Carolina, we were still wearing these ankle monitors. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I, I was, I was in bed at home with my wife and wearing this <laughs> ankle monitor trying to sleep, you know, it was just, it's absolutely ridiculous. And the $50,000 bond thing, it costed, it costed $20,000 just to get us all out of jail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, unbelievable. 10% each. You yeah. Know, for, and for bail. John Lamb called multiple bondsmen, multiple bondsmen. They wouldn't do it. It was too costly, too expensive until the very last one that he had, very last person he called. Thank the Lord. Mm-hmm. He was willing to go through with it. And we were able to get out. Yep. And uh, just completely bewildered. Uh, confused at it all. I mean, none of us had ever been, you know, treated like this from the sheriff, from the county, uh, from all these different levels. Now it's the attorney general's office. Mm-hmm. Now it's the attorney general's office that's going after us, uh, Austin Knudsen. You know, and I am a, surprised because I know Austin. I, I know Austin. I'm surprised this has gone the way it has. I'm going to ask them, I'm going to ask the AG's office to listen to this program. And, um, you know, believe me, this is, uh, 
this is a big deal because what's happening here, obviously, is that some mistakes were made, and now it's kind of a, a matter of trying to cover all the mistakes by making more mistakes. We can't afford to treat people this way. This is still, even though we know differently in a lot of ways, it's still a free country. Mm, and, yes, uh, you know, I, I, the, the, my uh, show opener, uh, <laughs> you know, we do the uh, proud to be American, but the fact is we don't know we're free anymore because we haven't lived You're in right. a free country in a heck of a long time. And well, Dan, I can we can't afford to let this go on. If I can interject, uh, sure. you know, listening to Eric, I had to go make me a cup of coffee if you don't mind. But, uh, you know, we would, we had no idea who this man was who attacked us. We sat in jail for four days. We didn't know his name. We didn't know if he lived in Madison County or if he lived in Ennis. We had no idea if he was connected to the fly shop nearby. And we were presented as a danger to this man in court by this county prosecutor, David Buchler, who said we were homeless vagabonds. We didn't even know the guy's name. And the only way or reason we came to know it is because the court revealed it to us. Yeah. I, I don't know the guy. I don't know the guy. I've, I'm not, I've never met him. I have no, they gave it to us no clue. And that seems to be another problem that we've got is that we have people moving into our county who are moving here because they think we are just a completely wide open, uh, you know, wild west type of an environment and that they can move here and people in our county will, uh, you know, will accept that. And all I can say is that, well, I've got a, I've got a good friend. He passed away a uh, number of years ago, but he was, uh, he was from Pennsylvania, Ted Williams. He was the consummate cowboy. He looked like uh, the Marlboro man. And uh, Ted said to me one time, you know, the Montanans uh, hate anybody from out of state, but they better be damn glad we've got some of these out of staters coming in because this is the most inbred mess I've ever seen. That was his, <laughs> that was his quote. <laughs> Well, hey, and I couldn't disagree with him. I'm a, like I say, a, a fourth or fifth generation Montana, and the attitudes are so incredibly, I guess I would have to say, oppressive and negative. And and we've got good Christians and good people living in our state. I don't understand how we got to where we are today because this is not the way we were raised. Right. We weren't raised to be these kind of fruitcake people that uh, find everybody from somewhere else to be a problem. If they come in and try to change things here and try to destroy the the rural environment, which has happened in Bozeman, I have to tell you, in Missoula and other parts of the state, but we have to we have to follow the law. We have to do things the mm -hmm. right way. We can't just become the law unto ourselves. And if our sheriff department aren't doing a good job in uh, making sure that happens, we need to change the sheriff departments. And that's a danger, Dan, to the citizens. Mm -hmm. I 
we're outsiders. We have a certain advantage and a big disadvantage in this matter. But if we were to back down and parley with these people when we did nothing wrong, if we were to do, I was astounded to hear that 90% of cases in Montana are pled out. They don't even make it to a trial. Mm-hmm. I was astounded to learn that Montana has no grand jury. I mean, that's a direct violation of the Constitution of the United States. And so these things astound me for what we have believed was a conservative red state. I mean, there's a reason we chose to walk north into Montana. We knew there were Christian Mm -hmm. people here. We knew there were patriots and the type of people here that understand there's a problem with the state of the country. And we felt like it would be a more receptive audience to hear what we what was put upon our heart than perhaps it would have been if we'd have headed due south across Southern Idaho. And there were more trees in Montana to protect us from the wind. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, 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 I love Montana. We've all three climbed the highest mountain in the state of Montana. I almost died doing it uh, far later in the season than we should have. I pedaled a bicycle across Montana years ago. Uh, I have um, been all over Yellowstone park um, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've had a history just traveling through Montana and loving it. You know, well, I love that drive across I-94. People talk about Western Montana, Dan, but that stretch of I-94 that crosses the North Dakota line and goes all the way down the Miles City and runs into 90. Mm-hmm. I personally think that's one of the more peaceful, pleasant, scenic stretches of interstate in all of America. And I've yeah. been on all. I agree. I agree, Jesse. Incidentally, I uh, uh, I think one of the problems you don't have nearly enough piercings and tattoos. Uh, <laughs> y- y- you know that seems to be the thing anymore. Uh, yeah, I don't. I haven't got a single one. I just. <laughs> I, I don't either. I don't regret something when I get old. I'll regret a lot when I get older. But some things I don't want to have to look down and say why. Well, you mentioned something, and I, I asked David uh, Summerall, a good friend of mine, he uh, was just on his way back from Washington, D.C., where he testified before the January 6th, uh, the, the uh, 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 congressional uh, special, uh, special uh, I'm trying to think of the right term, uh, special Congressional Committee for the Weaponization of the Federal Government. He testified before that group uh, this week. He's testified a number of times about January 6th and what happened on January 6th. I was there as well. I went to D.C. I did not go to the Capitol. I went to the ellipse. I listened to President Trump speak. I was with other people from uh, Montana and around the country. And I can tell you when we were there in front of the ellipse, it was obvious that there were agent provocateurs in the crowd that were trying to stir up trouble. And it wasn't just me and a handful of people that recognized that. There were a lot of us that recognize that. There were people from all over the country. We estimated that the real crowd, not the one that the media reported, the real crowd was somewhere around uh, a million two hundred thousand to one and a half million people there. 
And um, what happened on January 6th, the railroading of those people, the political prisoners that we have now in the American gulag system mm -hmm. is an absolute travesty. It is also an example of how far we've gone the wrong way. And David was going to join us because he was very interested in your uh, your story. I will make sure he said he was going to uh, watch it. I will make sure we connect you as well, because he's also an incredibly Christian and good man. Mm -hmm. And uh, he has been raising money for the January 6th prisoners. And another person, and I'll just say this, Stuart Rhodes. Uh, I know Stuart very well. I was involved early on when Oath Keepers was first formed. I, I am not a member, but I was one of the first speakers at their first convention in Helena, Montana. I can tell you for Stuart Rose to get 20 years uh, for sedition and all the other crap they're trying to nail him with is an absolute travesty. The man is not a perfect man, but he sure as heck doesn't deserve that. And that's what's happened to our country. The victims are now the ones who are being persecuted. And the the people who caused the problem are now the victims. And that is happening all over our country. And frankly, it's got to end. It's just that Amen. simple. Amen. Anyway, can I, I'd, I'd like to uh, have John Lamb join us because he's been on the phone listening for yes. About an hour and a half. Uh, John, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, I, I go back a ways with John because he's a really good guy. And uh, we've we've had some fun together over the years. John, talk about how you got involved in this whole situation. And, uh, and then maybe give our listeners a little bit of your unique background uh, a perception on how this whole thing has kind of unwound. Yes, thank you so much, Dan, for having these missionaries on there, and thanks for having me. Um, it uh, definitely is, a, this was a hate crime that happened in Montana. It was a hate crime um, against the cross and Christianity, and if you watch all these body cam footages, and you watch all these uh, 911 calls that come in from this alleged victim that attacked them, it's very obvious that it was all about the cross. It was all about Christianity from the very beginning of this attack against them. And um, we, I, I appreciate you getting this uh, message out there. I wanted to read Montana law real quick, uh, the statute that protects the right to self-defense that go, goes one step you know, further, I guess, to, to, to illustrate the Constitution, our Second Amendment and our First Amendment. But Montana Code 45-3102 says, use of force in defense of person. A person is justified in the use of force or threat to use force against another when and to the extent that the person reasonably believes that the conduct is necessary for self-defense or the defense of others against other person's intimate use of unless unlawful force um jesse boyd had every right and all of them did in my opinion under this law to defend themselves when this aggressor left his vehicle got out of his vehicle and charged 
and attack them. He should have never got out of his vehicle in the first place. This thing should have never happened. If he was upset, express his First Amendment, say what he wanted to say, and drive on. But for him to leave his vehicle in this aggressive manner started the whole thing. And he was the aggressor. Um, there, there's no doubt that if this does go to trial, the jurors are going to see through this and going to um, say not guilty. And we know that Montana, we hold uh, people from Montana that live here or from here, that we, we um, hold dear to our, our self-defense and our, our right to defend ourselves and the Constitution. So I believe these guys are innocent. I, I believe that they will be found not guilty if, the tri- if it does go to trial, but wh- why make them suffer? Austin Knutchen has the power to dismiss this case and order to be dismissed and not let goons like Thorne Geist or David Butchler to uh, be tyrants here and prosecute people wrongfully here in our county and our state of Montana. Um, Going back just a little bit with this, I, it was, um, I'm trying to remember the date, but I think it was the 12th they were arrested sometime around the the uh, the 14th, I think it was, of the morning there, a Monday morning. I had received multiple voicemails, text messages from people around the country and in Montana about what happened. And I ended up receiving a phone call that morning, and I was in NS parked at a local church where I had good phone service, taking some other phone calls. And I ended up talking to um, Jesse Boyd's father was one of the phone calls um, from North Carolina and uh, Paul Boyd. And he started telling me about um, his son, his uh, granddaughter and and grandson, 12 year old Josiah and the other two brothers, Carter and Eric, that they had all been arrested in Montana. And he's telling me, it happened uh, in Montana. I'm saying, well, where did it happen? I haven't heard nothing about it. You know, where did it happen? I'm thinking somewhere like Missoula, Great Falls, anywhere, but but Madison County, Montana. Right. And he tells me, well, it happened in Ennis, Montana. I said, well, I'm in Ennis right now. And he says, and then he was telling me in the conversation that their vehicle got impounded. Well, I looked behind me at the only impoundment yard in Ennis, and there was their vehicle that was in that impoundment yard sitting on the back of a rollback yet on top of the wrecker. And so it was right in my backyard, right near my home. And um, so I, we, we got things together and we found out when the court date was, and I was the only person in court that morning besides the prosecutor and the judge, the sheriff. And one of these brothers was in court that, that morning in person, they had transported him from Jefferson County Jail, and that was Eric Trent. So I got a glimpse of Eric in the courtroom. Uh, he was dressed in all orange and shackled, handcuffed to his to his waist. And um, I don't I don't know if he knew who I was there that morning in court, but um, I was the only only person in the audience that day. And I watched it all unfold. I got to watch the Zoom calls from the other three that were sitting in jail. And I knew right away something was wrong when I heard the prosecutor say, these um, individuals judge they're transients, they're homeless, they don't have no address, so they can be a flight risk, they're a danger to our community, and just on and on the lies that were told about them. And the judge, Mark Glines, 
he just went along with it, confirmed it all, and said, yes, you're transients. You don't have no home. You can't prove to where you where you live. And I, one or two times I tried to speak up and talk to the judge, like, well, your honor, I, you know, they can stay at my house. You know, uh, they're not, they're not transients. I've talked to their, to their father, Paul Boyd. Um, these, these are Christians, but they wouldn't let me speak up in court. And uh, even one point judge Glines told me if I tried to speak up in court, he would have me removed from the courtroom and um, make the story wow. short. I went and seen Eric that, that evening, afternoon, after court in jail there in Jefferson County, I did get a hold of um, a bail bondsman finally that had a bond that was sufficient or high enough that he felt comfortable that he could use his bond to bond them out, which cost $20,000 in cash to get them out of jail. Um, the, the burden and the financial burden to get the, for, them, for them to get out of jail to just get back home to their families was tremendous on them. Um, close to $30,000 it cost them to just be released on ankle monitors, out on bail, get their car back out of impoundment, and, and all the other fees just to go home is totally unconstitutional and unacceptable. It should have never happened in the first place. And that money, they may never get back. Uh, that's the sad part. And, and justice in this country is twisted around backwards. And um, I've been, as you know, Dan, I, I've been doing this for years around the country for many, many other wrongfully charged and convicted prisoners. And we see this injustice where there's individuals like Black Lives Matter or Antifa that walk away from horrible crimes mm -hmm. um, against other people and never are charged but we're doing hate crimes and charging people like these missionaries wrongfully and dragging these cases out for months and months and months and even years sometimes, um, making them suffer and punishing them for something they never did do. Well, John, uh, this is a stain on America. It really is. And uh, certainly it's an embarrassment uh, that something this misguided has been allowed to get this far. But the fact is, we are living in a justice system where justice is no longer uh, spelled J-U-S-T-I-C-E. It is now just U-S, just us. And it's written for the people who are in charge of this woke society because they plan to bring down America, and this is a great way uh, to bring down America, destroy our sense of civil liberties, destroy all of our senses of right and wrong, get people who should be uh, allies in this war against the, the globalists and make us enemies against one another. And it's worked very effectively. It's time for Americans and certainly people in South Montana to wake up and realize that we're being played like a cheap fiddle and you better quit playing the tune because sooner or later, we're gonna lose our country and that's exactly where we're at right now. Um, uh, John, I, I, my young friends, uh, 
Um, Andrew Meyer and his wife, Tashina, uh, Andy's my IT guy on my website, and they were in that walk this weekend that they uh, went, or maybe it was last weekend, anyway, uh, went uh, up the VC Hill, and uh, they said they've never seen so much hate coming out of people and so many lies that are being fomented. What in the world is going on with our country when we can't have an honest public forum where we can talk about things as rational Christian people and expect to be heard? It, it is horrible, Dan. I was involved every day of that walk uh, on Saturday, Sunday, and then Tuesday. And to see locals that I know personally in my own home county make lies and false accusations against what was happening. Some of the people from our, our conservatives that I thought were conservatives in our county, and Andrew, Andrew, Andrew and uh, Tashina also seen this, close friends of theirs making lies. And uh, Andrew got on one, one Facebook thread, and he says, I was there personally walking with my own kids. This didn't happen. And we just could not believe the hate and the the things that were screwed out there about about these missionaries and others that were there. My own children walked out there. Multiple, my children were there, and um, they they lied. They saying we were in the middle of the road blocking traffic, and people, all of everybody that walked there, over a hundred people showed up. Was very respectful, very Christ-like. They, they they stayed in the side of the road. They were walking in the road ditches. We tried never to impede traffic or block anybody. Um, they were just out, out doing what they did, and we were supporting these missionaries on that walk. And I, I just can't believe this hate has continued. And this that just more proof to me, this was all about the cross. It was all about Christianity, and it was a hate crime against these four individuals and Josiah, all five of them, that day, November 12th in Cameron, Montana. It was a hate crime from the guy who attacked them, it was a hate crime from the Madison County Sheriff deputies that uh, arrested them, that made fun of them, that cussed at them, and did all of this stuff. They said, you know, if you can walk across America together, you can go to jail together. These are officers that are not even from our community. These officers that have been hired from California, Indiana, Georgia, and other places that have criminal histories from these other places that the law firm has has um, has done searches that their, their law firm has done searches on them and found out these people. There has been even law enforcement officers that have been in our community here in Madison County for over 16 years that are seeing this and have reached out to us and said, "What happened that day is wrong." Mm -hmm. And one of those officers have be, have been even fired. Um. So it, it just we, we don't have Montana values representing us in Madison County any longer. We have out-of-staters that don't have the best interest. This, this alleged victim has not even been in Montana more than three years. Dan Wyatt has not even been on the force even a year yet. Mm. And he's acting like this to our you know, local Montana residents and even our visitors that walk through Montana. It's just totally outrageous and totally unacceptable. Well, John, uh, you know, what you're describing and certainly what Jesse and Eric 
we we need to uh, hear from Bethany for sure. But what you're describing is, uh, to me, the most obvious thing that's going on here is a an anti-Christian bias, and uh, this doesn't come by accident. This happens because we have been conditioned, as Americans, we have been conditioned to, uh, to attack those who we really ought to be fighting to to help to be part of the solution because it's pretty obvious to me and I think just about anybody else in the freedom movement we are in a battle uh, right now a battle royale between uh, Christ and Satan between good and evil if you're not a Christian you certainly can't miss the fact that we are in a battle between good and evil this is something that people need to be aware of, and we need to quit fighting and trying to harm those who are trying to be our allies and start uh, going after the people who are trying to tear us down. And that's globalism. That's international globalism. And uh, if you want to know where that is, just look in D.C. Just look around. I mean, there's all this information out there that tells us who these people are. And somehow, Americans have been so lazy that uh, they haven't connected the dots. But that's what we're trying to do here today. Exactly. Right. I want to mention one more thing, Dan, before I let Bethany. I'll just break it real briefly. But these missionaries uh, had to, had um, scheduled, well, other people had actually scheduled it, I think, and invited them to restart this long walk across America uh, on the 13th here of May. So everybody was coming out there. The prosecutors heard about this. The prosecutors wrote up a motion to have all four of them arrested if they came back to Madison County, Montana. And it said in that motion, and I read it personally, it said if they... Uh, any law enforcement officer, day or night, is ordered to arrest Jesse Boyd, Bethany Boyd, uh, Eric Trent, and Carter Phillips if they are seen or found in Madison County, Montana. What, what is the justification for that? What is the justification for that, John? On that order, but, there has to be a justification. It just Jesse made a Facebook post just saying that he was praising the Lord that he was going to restart the walk. Thank you so much for all the supporters. And the prosecutors were saying that was a threat and a slap to the face to this alleged victim. So they were going to arrest him over a Facebook post is all it was about and order them to be arrested if they came to Madison County to restart the walk. You, Thankfully, you the judge... You the cannot judge do that unless they represent a threat and they don't represent a threat. Exactly. Thankfully, the judge seen through it and said, no, he wasn't granting it, and it was denied that they could continue their walk, continue their Christian ministry, and that he would not, um, would not uh, support the rearrest of all four of them over this crazy Facebook post that the prosecutors were blowing out of proportion. And this, this is the kind of prosecutors, though, and my point is, this is the kind of prosecutors we are dealing with. And... Sadly, Austin Knutson has been backing Thorne Geese. He actually appointed the special prosecutor over the case. Wow. Uh, and he has said multiple times that he has looked at 
this case and he's going to allow it to be prosecuted and move forward. So the state of Montana is even involved persecuting these missionaries and and wrongfully prosecuted them along with the Madison County. It, it is really sad. Well, I can tell you, Austin Knutson, and I've not gone to church with Austin, but uh, I know for a fact that Austin Knutson counts himself very uh, solidly in the camp of Christianity. And I'm going to ask, I'm going to send a copy of this whole program uh, to the Montana AG's office and request that they do their own review and listen to at least the conversations that went on here before they make any further decisions. Dan, if I might interject, um, all we would ask of Mr. Knudsen is to look at the look at the leaked body cam footage and see for yourself. You don't even need to listen to my pleas. I, I don't. I don't. You know, uh, I have no man on earth for, to take care of my needs other than God. Our trust is in the Lord, and He has promised that He is going to deliver us from this. But I would just say, go look at the body cam footage. Listen to what the officers are saying. Thank God there was a whistleblower in Madison County. We don't know who it is. We don't know how this stuff started popping up online. I just one day was sent a message saying, hey, I found this online, and I'm seeing footage of my son crying and praying to God in the back of a police vehicle while it's parked at our attacker's business. I see us uh, sharing with the police what happened. I see officers calling us SOBs. And, and GD and calling my son a GD kid and effing evangelist. So, Mr. Knudsen, just look at the body cam footage. Look mm -hmm. at the hour long video that's out there and you'll see for yourself. But let me just say that our attorneys filed a motion back on March 31st and th they believe this strongly and I believe it strongly. And they're asking this case be dismissed because, at, in their words, this is the most extreme case of selective prosecution motivated by religious discrimination in the history of Montana. And anyone can read that motion. If you go to tinyurl.com slash Montana persecution, you can read that official motion that's been filed with the court in its entirety, and you will see the evidence of this, that the mm -hmm. statements by the police the fact that our attacker and his buddies sat around correcting each other's stories and they weren't separated like we were, and they're openly admitting things that showed them to be the aggressors. And then the, the activities of the assistant AG. I mean, these people are using doxers and internet uh, trolls to harass our families and to post pictures of our homes and our residents and the homes of people we go to church with. And these are people that have gotten access to information that they would not have unless it had been provided to them by the prosecution. There were character reference letters that were submitted to the judge on our behalf, and they're sealed. And yet I'm seeing them online with people's addresses, and they're being mocked by these Internet trolls and atheists who have a long history of targeting and doxing Christians. And so we've got a concerted effort here, and I don't believe Austin knows anything about this. I believe mm. that he I doubt it. that he does. I, I doubt mean, that he does, because we've got he's a good man. Intimidating the families. I mean, there are threats on our life right now. 
There are threats on the internet of us being shot down like dogs if we're if we're seen walking in Madison County. Now, when this show is over, we're going right back out to Nevada City this afternoon. It's just the three of us to continue our walk. And we're going to head north up through uh, Sheridan and Twin Bridges. And we've had people warn us, and they're very concerned about our safety back in North Carolina. But I see it like Paul did. Uh, they didn't want him going to Jerusalem. At the end of the day, I've got to be obedient to the Lord and let them shoot us down like dogs. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not afraid to go to heaven. We're peaceful people. And if someone comes out to attack us or threaten us, we will act to protect ourselves. We've been deprived of our ability to, to carry firearms because of this. We've been told we can't possess those things. So we, we are unarmed in an attempt to be uh, cooperative with the court. I think it's unconstitutional, but we're trying to be cooperative. We'll protect ourselves, but we're sitting ducks out there, Dan. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how much we ought to take into consideration online threats. A lot of it's empty, but these are people working with the prosecution and this should not be happening in Montana no. where the agent daily posts pictures of himself holding AR-47s and talking about gun rights and target practice. We believe in gun rights. We believe that a person has the, you know, you take away a people's guns and then they have no means to protect themselves from an overbearing tyrannical government. So uh, how is this happening in Montana? We're going to continue our walk. And if they want to shoot us down like dogs, let them do it. I'm not afraid of them. Mm -hmm. I'll die for the Lord Jesus Christ, even here in America. Well, I agree. And I couldn't agree more with that very statement, because the one thing they can't do is steal your soul. And uh, if you're committed to your, uh, you're committed to Christ, you know that if they take your body, big deal, uh, you know, where, where you're mean. going is going to be okay. But the thing is, I'm still wondering if this isn't being orchestrated as some sort of a, uh, an attempt to create a false flag event so they can so they can go after the Second Amendment. I every time one of the th these things comes up, you find out that uh, that you know this person is on PCP or some kind of drug, or that these kids are have mental issues or something involved. And I, all I can tell you is I've got a good friend by the name of uh, Juliet Engel who is a medical doctor who was a victim of MK Ultra sex magic program when she was a child. Her parents sent her to this program because they were CIA, and her grandfather and her uncles were CIA. This sort of thing happens. There are people that are mind-controlled that are in, in this country, and all I can say is that uh, every time I see something like you guys are going through, I just wonder how much of that is part of a, a black ops. Well, I want to give glory to God because this could have been so much worse. Oh, yeah. I mean, usually when children are taken into CPS custody unjust, unjustifiably, those things don't end well. And I will have to say this, that once Josiah was out of the, the hands of those corrupt deputies, the young lady that worked with CPS treated him with extra care and kindness. And they put him in a home over in Bozeman with an elderly lady who lived in a really nice place. And Josiah was treated very well. And as soon as my wife 
arrived in Montana, there were no barriers whatsoever to her picking up Josiah. And so I got, I have to say that the Lord watched over him and our story with CPS does not mirror what I've heard happens regularly in Montana. And the other thing that I praise God for is there apparently is a history of some very bad things that have gone on in this county. There have been allegations made in times past against officers of this department involving sexual misconduct. One officer at one point several years ago was accused of raping uh, uh, someone here to get back at her because the, the lady's ex-husband was, was his buddy. I don't know the truth of all that. Mm -hmm. I just know people have reached out to us and that officer's no longer with the department. But my daughter could have been the victim of something like that that mm -hmm. night. She was transported alone. I've never understood this, Dan. There's certain ways of behaving that are important for public officials to even uh, protect the image that might be communicated. And it didn't seem like these officers cared whatsoever about the image, almost like we have no accountability. We can do what we want to do. Carter and I were transported to Bozeman in the, in the vehicle with a single female officer. Okay. This female officer is the common law wife of one of the officers that arrested us. They keep last names different so they can work on cases together. And the officer that arrested us considered us dangerous felons, but not too dangerous to have his common law wife escort two males to Bozeman. And then Bethany was escorted to Bozeman in a police vehicle alone with the sheriff elect. Now, the appearance of that in light of the history of that department seems foolish. Why did that happen? My daughter could have been the victim of something far worse and God protected her. And, uh, you know, the first thing I believe, the I mean, she could take one of the first things he said to her when they uh, got in the car was, I'm going to play country music. And if you don't like it, you can get over it. And it's like, sir, why are you mm -hmm. transporting a teenage girl alone to Bozeman and then having a, a female officer transport two males alone? It just doesn't make any yeah. sense. Man. Yeah. These people are lawless. They have no accountability. I've seen the policy manual for the Madison County Sheriff's Department. It is not something that's readily accessible to the public. And these guys violated their own policies left and right. They should have never transported a child along like they did. They're not even their policy manual says they're not to use profanity while in uniform. And these guys were cussing up a storm out there. Yeah. They well, no respect for their own policy manuals. Jesse, I think that is, is something that you need to um, br bring forward to uh, the attorney general's office, and I'll certainly uh, uh, try to contact them. They need to understand. I will send a copy of this uh, of this program once we've got it archived. I'll send a copy of this to uh, Austin Knutson to the AG's office, but. What we're talking about here is uh, very clearly a violation of civil rights in a way that uh, the the at the very least we should let this all drop way way back when and the people that are making this as bad as it is are making it worse by trying to make something out of nothing 
and create a situation where uh, we're going to have a black eye in Montana, certainly in Madison County, uh, from here on out if we if we continue to pursue this. I just I, I am absolutely beside myself trying to figure out how in the world we could have allowed something this uh, this much a travesty of justice to happen. Bethany, I want to give you at least a chance to say a few words. We're all, almost out of time, and you sat there patiently the entire time. From a one a young woman's perspective, you're 18 years old, a young woman's perspective. How did you see this whole uh, sorry mess, and how will it affect your life? Well, Mr. Dan, again, I appreciate you for giving us a chance to all speak on here and just uh, tell our story. But um, more than anything, I want to make sure none of us matter. What matters is that glory goes to Christ and that this situation is used to spread his gospel and to show the truth of what's happening in our country. And I admit, I didn't know it was this bad until this situation happened. I didn't know that law enforcement was a mess out here anyway. And for me personally, throughout this whole walk, any encounters I've had with law enforcement or locals has been very positive. And I've talked to police officers. I've given them gospel tracts, shared our story and shook hands with them and had conversations. And everybody's been very kind and uh, very um, supportive of what we're doing. And so when this happened, it was a shock to me. Um, normally, I try to be very friendly to anybody that pulls off the highway and tries to talk to me or ask what's going on. And here, we didn't even have a chance to do that. It was immediately thrown into madness. And for me, anyway, I think what this situation has taught me is, uh, you know, our country's a mess. We need the Messiah. We need to repent. We need to turn back to Christ. And when our nation is without Christ, it's a mess and uh, madness is going to happen and uh, people are going to be doing wicked things. And so the comfort for me in all this was that I knew that regardless of what happened, we were protected by Christ. He was our comfort. He was our, um, the one that controlled all of this. And so I was um, able to rest in knowing that he was going to deliver us. And I still believe he will. And, uh, our desire for these people, the man that attacked us, the cops that arrested us, is that they find Christ. Amen. Is that they are saved and they know the truth. And we don't hate these people. The The thing that I know is that they're without salvation. So I don't expect them to act any different. They don't know what the truth is. They don't know the message of Christ. And so that's our desires, that they repent and that they are able to find that hope and rest that we have as Christians. And so my prayer the other day while we were walking, as we started this walk again, again, we're very thankful for everybody that came out and supported us in that, was that our presence and our witness that the cross would allow these people, these cops, these locals to think about their eternity and to think about where they were going to spend it. And so out here starting up again, it's just been a blessing to be able to come alongside locals that support us that we didn't even know at the beginning of this. We know nobody in Montana until now. And uh, it's just been a privilege to be able to go up and uh, meet these people, start out again strong. And we're going to continue what we're doing. We're going to continue uh, sharing the gospel and we're not going to change anything that 
um, what was going on before. And so the Lord's good and we trust him to deliver us. And I just pray that throughout all this, whether or not we're the spark or the flame that he uses this to expose the wickedness and to perhaps open doors for other people to speak forth about what's going on to them in their lives. And that uh, this corruption can be resolved and that these people ultimately can find salvation and be saved. And so we, God doesn't need us, but he's chosen to use us. And so in that, I want to be faithful and uh, just do what he's called us to do. We're going to fulfill our commitment and uh, just trust he'll protect us and trust that he'll use this for his glory. Amen. And so let it be said that we're not out here to cause problems. We're just out here to share the gospel and to, um, be a blessing to those that need a blessing and to be a spark that God uses for his glory. <laughs> Let it be well, known. Uh, Bethany, we, 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 you know, we're out of time. I want to mention you, uh, your website for the group is uh, thelongwalkusa.com. Thelongwalkusa.com. You can go to that website and click on that website. There's pictures. There's a lot of information there on Jesse, on you and the whole group. And all I can say is God bless you for what you're trying to do. We have some problems in this country. You are going to be part of the solution. There's no question about that. And if we let this travesty go on, we will lose not only our nation, but our entire world. Mm-hmm. And there are people all over the world who are watching what you are doing, because we do have an international audience on this show. Mm-hmm. And all I can tell you is that uh, uh, people are alarmed because we are losing everything that is good about humanity right now. And uh, God bless you guys for what you're doing as part of this. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, John, thank you for uh, joining us uh, on the phone. I look forward to seeing you again soon uh, in person. And with that said, I thank you again, folks, for joining us, for connecting the dots. I look forward to seeing you again next Sunday on Connecting the Dots. Amen. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to LA, where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say.
Reserve me.